Okay, welcome back. Good morning. Um, we took a break last week to talk in the group. Uh, today continues the reading of Zhongzi, Chapter 2. Uh, today is uh, April 21, and uh, this is Episode 9, reading Zhongzi. Burton Watson, translation, uh, and we're on the PDF in the middle of Chapter 2. I want to, uh, this is um, paragraph or, or section 19 of the A.C. Muller uh, translation, where there's a link, um, or has been a link, uh, but I'm reading from Burton Watson, because I think uh, <clears throat> A.C. Muller may actually be more accurate in some cases, but I think uh, Watson's readability is probably better without sacrificing meaning and not adding stuff in that's too much unnecessary, but only helpful, actually. So, a couple of comments at the start. Um, <clears throat> these chapters, so far, uh, like everything, make statements and give questions. We have statements, we have questions. These are particularly epistemological, and then also, in a sense, uh, sociological statements and questions. What do I mean? Epistemological statements and questions. Uh, he's saying certain things about knowledge, about language, about truth, about what is, uh, and about how we can know anything that we believe or we experience. Uh, so questions about knowing and then statements about knowing. What we can know, what we don't know, what we think we know, how well do we think we know, or how do we really know what we believe we know? Questions about knowability. And from this rain, this whole smattering, and again, with, uh, the, pad, the, the paragraph style of Watson is useful. And <clears throat> generally what you see at the beginning of paragraphs are, are a bunch of questions and statements, epistemological questions and statements about what we think we know, and questions about uh, how well we really do know it, and uh, the, par the polarities or paradox of knowing. And then there are statements and questions, particularly statements actually, about uh, sociological, meaning about ordinary people and about the sage. So we've got a discussion where there are provocative questions and some statements about epistemology and knowing, and then some mainly statements about the ordinary people, the ordinary mind, ordinary people equals ordinary mind, and then the sage, which equals the mind of the sage, and then the behavior of the sage. And from that, <clears throat> or the linkage between statements about the ordinary mind and ordinary folk versus the sage and the sage mind, there's, there are statements that are uh, in the form of guidance. So we've got epistemological questions and statements, uh, sociological statements about two types of people, two types of mind, uh, common and um, the Taoist, the Zhenren, the one who sees uh, more or, or you know, embodies Zhongzi's uh, guidance, and then these various forms of guidance how to move from the ordinary to the sage, from the common way of thinking and knowing to a higher way of thinking and knowing, in his view. So that, that type of framework, or thinking of it, that type of analysis has been useful for me. And so you'll see it in almost every paragraph, where there are some epistemological questions, sometimes driving one mad, <laughs> that are you know playing around with language even, and some statements about knowability, and then statements about ordinary mind, ordinary folks, uh, folk, and then the sage, and then guidance, how to get from the ordinary to the sagely, like that. And that, that encompasses a whole lot, actually, that, that uh, categorization. So, what I want to do is read from the <clears throat> middle of uh, the P, what the PDF is on page 71, and finish this chapter 2, and read straight through from 71 to 78, uh, and then do some commentary, but limit myself so that I can get out of this chapter today <laughs> and move on to chapter 3. 
So middle page 71, Burton Watson translation. Uh, in some cases, I'm going to translate the... Um, I'll make very, very brief uh, interpolations or little comments uh, during the, the reading, but mainly I want to read it through and then circle back, as they say, to uh, more commentary, but limit myself so I hopefully can get out of this in an hour. So, middle page 71, Burton Watson translation of Zhongzi, chapter 2. The Wei, or the Tao, has never known boundaries. Speech has no constancy. But because of the recognition of a this, there came to be boundaries. So this is boundaries in knowledge, meaning what is, what isn't. Let me tell you what the boundaries are. There is left, there is right, there are theories, there are debates, there are divisions, there are discriminations. Uh, this is uh, discernings, but also judgments. There are emulations, you know, uh, seeking to um, encapsulate something else or, or present a mirror. And there are contentions, <laughs> uh, aggression and, and conflictual argumentation. These are called the eight virtues. As to what is beyond the six realms, the sage admits it exists but does not theorize. Six realms is all creation. As to what is within the six realms, he theorizes but does not debate. In the case of the spring and autumn, which are his historical records but also uh, the past, the record of former kings of past ages... The sage debates, but does not discriminate. In that case, I think he means judge and uh, oppose an argument, argue. So I say, those who divide fail to divide. They don't do real, true division. Those who discriminate fail to discriminate. What does this mean, you ask? The sage embraces things. So again, at the bottom of the paragraph, we see the, the statement of the sage and guidance. Ordinary men discriminate among them and parade their discriminations before others. So I say, those who discriminate fail to see. Meaning, uh, common discrimination and judgment. The great Tao is not named. Great discriminations are not spoken. Great benevolence is not benevolent. Great modesty is not humble. Great daring does not attack. If the Tao is made clear, it is not the Tao. If discriminations are put into words, they do not suffice. If benevolence has a constant object, or rigidly theorized benevolence, it cannot be universal. If modesty is fastidious, it cannot be trusted. If daring attacks, it cannot be complete. These five are all round, but they tend toward the square. This means sort of perfect and as it is, but then they are squared by limited human um, thinking and belief and knowledge process. Therefore, understanding that rests in what it does not understand is the finest. Who can understand discriminations that are not spoken? The way or the Tao that is not a way? If he can understand this, he may be called the reservoir of heaven. Pour into it, and it is never full. Dip from it, and it never runs dry. And yet it does not know where the supply comes from. This is called the shaded light, or precious light. So it is that long ago Yao said to Shun, I want to attack the rulers of Zong, Kui, and Zhao. Even as I sit on my throne, this thought nags at me. Why is this? And Shun replied, These three rulers are only little dwellers in the weeds and brush. Why this nagging desire? Long ago, ten suns came up all at once, and the ten thousand things were all lighted up. How much greater is virtue, or de, like Tao de, core vat virtue, essential metaphysical, essential virtue. And how much greater is vat virtue, or de, than these suns? <coughs> Nye Tre asked Wang Ni, Do you know what all things agree in calling right? How would I know that? said Wang Ni. Do you know that you don't know it? How would I know that? 
then do things know nothing? How would I know that? However, suppose I try saying something. This is Wang Ni, <laughs> the Taoist, replying. What way do I have of knowing that if I say I know something, I don't really not know it? Or, what way do I have of knowing that if I say I don't know something, I don't in fact or don't really in fact know it? Now let me ask you some questions. If a man sleeps in a damp place, his back aches, and he ends up half paralyzed, but is this true of a loach? It's a fish. If he lives in a tree, he's terrified and shakes with fright, but is this true of a monkey? Of these three creatures, then, which knows the proper place to live? Well, is there? Men eat the flesh of grass-fed and grain-fed animals. Deer eat grass. Centipedes find snakes tasty. And hawks and falcons relish mice. Of these four, which knows what food or how food ought to taste? Monkeys pair with monkeys. Deer go out with deer. And fish play around with fish. Men claim that Mao Chang and Lady Li were beautiful. But if fish saw them, they would dive to the bottom of the stream. If birds saw them, they would fly away. And if deer saw them, they would break into a run. Of these four, which knows how to fix the standard of beauty for the world? The way I see it, the rules of benevolence and righteousness and the paths of right and wrong are all hopelessly snared and jumbled. How can I know anything about such discriminations? Ni Nie Chue said, quote, If you don't know what is profitable or harmful, then does the perfect man likewise know nothing of such things? Wang Ni replied, The perfect man is godlike. Though the great swamps blaze, they cannot burn him. Though the great rivers freeze, they cannot chill him. Though swift lightning splits the hills and howling gales shake the sea, they cannot frighten him. A man like this rides the clouds and mist, straddles the sun and moon, and wanders beyond the four seas. Even life and death have no effect on him, much less the rules of profit and loss. <clears throat> That's a response to the, the question of, uh, if you don't know what's profitable or harmful, what about the perfect man? And he's saying, the perfect, perfect, the perfect man um, knows about profit and harm, but he uh, doesn't have an it doesn't have an effect on him. It's not he's not working at that level of um, experience. He's not fashioning that type of experience where he's conceiving profit and loss. Going on, Zhu Chue said to Wang or Zhang Wuzi, "I have heard Confucius say that the sage does not work at anything, does not pursue profit, does not dodge does not dodge harm, does not enjoy being sought after." does not follow the Tao, yet says nothing, or says nothing, yet says something, says something, yet says nothing, and wanders beyond the dust and grime. <clears throat> Confucius himself regarded these as wild and flippant words, though I believe they describe the working of the mysterious Tao. What do you think of them? Zhang Wuzi said in reply, Even the yellow emperor would be confused if he heard such words. So how could you expect Confucius to understand them? What's more, you're too hasty in your own appraisal. You see an egg and demand a crowing cock. You see a crossbow pellet and demand a roast dove. I'm going to try speaking some reckless words, and I want you to listen to them recklessly. How will that be? The sage leans on the sun and moon, tucks the universe under his arm, merges himself with things leaves the confusion and muddle as it is, and looks on slaves as exalted. Ordinary men strain and struggle. The sage is stupid and blockish. He takes part in ten thousand ages and achieves simplicity in oneness. For him, all the ten thousand things are what they are, and thus they enfold one another. Quote, How do I know that loving life is not a delusion? How do I know that in hating death I am not like a man who, having left home in his youth, has forgotten the way back? Lady Li was the daughter of the border guard of Ai. This is, the, this is probably an historical story. When she was first taken captive and brought to the state of Jin, she wept until her tears drenched the collar of her robe. 
but later, when she went to live in the palace of the ruler, shared his couch with him, and ate the delicious meats of his table, she wondered why she had ever wept. How do I know that the dead do not wonder why they ever longed for life? He who dreams of drinking wine may weep when morning comes. He who dreams of weeping may in the morning go off to hunt, meaning that's a happy thing. While he is dreaming, dreaming, he does not know it's a dream, and in his dream he may even try to interpret a dream. Only after he wakes does he know it was a dream. And someday there will be a great awakening when we know that this is all a great dream. Yet the stupid believe they are awake, busily and brightly assuming they understand things, calling this man ruler, that one herdsman, how dense. Confucius and you are both dreaming, and when I say you are dreaming, I am dreaming too. Words like these will be labeled the supreme swindle, meaning fraud or, or fake, <laughs> fake uh, uh, money-taking. Yet, after ten thousand generations, a great sage may appear who will know their meaning, and it will still be as though he appeared with astonishing speed. Suppose you and I have an argument. If you have beaten me instead of my beating you, then are you necessarily right, and am I necessarily wrong? If I have beaten you instead of your beating me, then am I necessarily right, and you are necessarily wrong? Is one of us right and the other wrong? Are both of us right and or are both of us wrong? If you and I don't know the answer, then other people are bound to be even more in the dark. And so, whom shall we get to decide what is right? Shall we get someone who agrees with you to decide? But if he already agrees with you, how can he decide fairly? Shall we get someone who agrees with me? But if he already agrees with me, how can he decide? Shall we get someone who disagrees with both of us? But if he already disagrees with both of us, how can he decide? So, shall we get someone who agrees with both of us? But if he already agrees with both of us, how can he decide? Obviously, then, neither you, nor I, nor anyone else can know the answer. Shall we wait for still another person? But, waiting for one shifting voice to pass judgment on, or to discern, uh, waiting for one shifting voice uh, to pass judgment on another, is the same as waiting for none of them. Harmonize, and this is where we get to the guidance uh, that leads to from the common to the sagely. Harmonize them all with the heavenly equality. Leave them to their endless changes, and so live out your years. What do I mean by harmonizing them with the heavenly equality? Right is not right, so is not so. If right were really right, it would differ so clearly from not right that there'd be no need for argument. If so were really so, it would differ so clearly from not so that there'd be no need for argument. Forget the years, forget distinctions, leap into the boundless and make it your home. Then there's a little break, and the next paragraph picks up. Penumbra. Penumbra. <laughs> Penumbra is actually um, a partial, a, a kind of a partial shadow. It's... Um, uh, the shadow from a partially occluded object. It's very strange. Penumbra, like partial shadow, said to shadow, full shadow, quote, A little while ago you were walking, and now you're standing still. A little while ago you were walking, and now you're standing up. Why this lack of independent action? Shadow said, Do I have to wait for something before I can be like this? Does what I wait for also have to wait for something before it can be like this? Am I waiting for the scales of a snake or the wings of a cicada? How do I know why it is so? How do I know why it isn't so? The scales of a snake uh, is a... Uh, the note is that uh, Chinese uh, philosophy, <laughs> Chinese people historically at that time, had some view that snakes depend on their scales and cicadas depend on their wings, so... This is uh, dependency and reliance. Um, the the uh, unreliability of reliance. Uh, we have more uh, gecko activity these days. Uh, relying is unreliable. <laughs> Intellectually, at least epistemologically. Relying here or there or this and that on 
he or she or something to uh, believe you've attained a certain, uh, believe one has attained certainty is unreliable. The unreliability of relying intellectually or um, in any way, ultimately. Anyway, the final paragraph, the famous, famous um, little story. Once Zhang Su dreamed he was a butterfly, a butterfly flitting and fluttering around, happy with himself and doing as he pleased. He didn't know he was Zhang Su. Suddenly he woke up, and there he was, solid and unmistakable Zhang Su. But he didn't know if he were Zhang Su who had dreamed he was a butterfly, or a butterfly dreaming he was Zhang Su. Between Zhang Su and a butterfly, there must be some distinction. This is called the transformation of things. And bear in mind, this chapter is uh, entitled um, Discussion on the uh, Making All Things Equal or the Equality of All Things. And so, uh, discussion on the equality of things is what Muller said. Discussion on making all things equal is uh, Burton Watson's. Uh, Equality doesn't necessarily mean sameness. It certainly has an interface with Nityananda talking about equal-sightedness or the yanin, or the fully enlightened being, as I think he was, uh, being, um, you know, seeing, seeing, all, seeing God everywhere. Uh, uh, oh, another earthquake. Yeah, hold on. We have had some big ones here. <laughs> Sometimes there's an earthquake during uh, uh, spiritual talkings. Uh, a couple of days ago, we had a 5-2 and then a 6. 6-minus. Six it was a 6-2. It was like a 5-8 and a 6-2. Uh, about 15 miles from my house. This epicenter, 15 miles away. And um, near where uh, you are, <laughs> CC. And... Um, big shaking. And for the first time I had this feeling in the middle of it, um, okay, get it out, get it out. I really had the sense that the Earth needed catharsis. Earthquake as um, planetary catharsis. That's a good topic for a lecture. Uh, Earth changes as planetary logoic catharsis. I really had this sense, all right, get it out, get it out, you got to get it out, I, I got it. And the house was shaking for about 20 seconds, and uh, at least uh, I can see how a 6-2 affects uh, my uh, location, my residence. It was a 6-2, <laughs> 15 miles away, and uh, the house was shaken, shaken, um, but only some, some essential oil bottles fell. But uh, a 7-0 or an 8-0 or a 9-0, I think, would uh, be real damaging. So uh, it's that time on planet Earth, and... Um, that's uh, <laughs> the way it goes. In the next few days, I'm going to have an interview again with Christine Yol and uh, talk about global process a bit. So, okay, <laughs> back to this. Uh, mm, making all things equal is realization of the equality of all things. This is uh, a kind of realization of the law of one, but... Our understanding um, is obviously quite limited. And commonly, I mean, this is what this chapter is very much about in the epistemological deconstruction, the questioning and the statements, the epistemological questions and statements, helping us make all things equal or realize the equality of all things. Um, The um, intrinsic unreliability of knowledge, of knowing, like Ross said, understanding is not of your density. Uh, meanwhile, we um, shouldn't be dogmatic about um, the unreliability of certainty or unreliability of relying or the impossible impossibility of total certainty. There are certain things we know well enough. There are certain things that are clearly differentiated from others. And so we have many, many decision points and uh, knowing is critical, as, as much as it can be. Uh, inevitably partial knowing, 
uh, inevitably uncertain to some degree, um, yet making an effort, this is very fifth ray, fifth, sixth ray actually, wisdom will, or wisdom, the will to be wise, the will to discern, but also the wisdom of uh, what is uh, beyond the personal, while we also need the will to discern the personal, how I feel. I feel terrible. I want that. Uh, Then, (laughs) even though I know I feel terrible and I want that, uh, I can apply my will to discern that I will estimate or assess how likely or not likely it is that I can get what I want. I know I want it. And so then, uh, but I uh, want to, uh, I know that my wanting it is distinct from uh, a realistic assessment of how likely it is that I'll get it. Or a realistic assessment of my methods that I'm planning or that I'm using or that I used to get what I want. I mean, Kamaloka means incessant desire. So we're here in Kamaloka, 3D space-time. The mind is incessantly wanting uh, as... (laughs) The impermanence of uh, the satisfaction of achievement of desires is uh, inviolable. Uh, the satisfaction arises, persists, and passes away, like all things, in under the sway under the mind of avidya. Uh, satisfaction arises, persists, and passes away. Then fresh desiring occurs. The more equanimity, the less desiring, actually. Uh, the more desiring, the more difficulty to stay in virtue or harmlessness, actually, as far as I can see. Um, the more evolution, the more equanimity in mind and wisdom. And um, that includes the discernment of what's impossible to obtain. And therefore, the wisdom to recognize, now what do I do? I feel lousy, I want it. I assess I uh, probably can never get it. What now? Well, that's where acceptance, unconditional acceptance, or accepting the unacceptable, meaning I don't want to, but I really... There's no better way than accepting the impossibility, the reality that indeed uh, obtaining this or that is impossible, if, it, if we perceive, you know, assess it to be. And so what about the equality of all things? <laughs> well, um it, this is not against it. Um, that kind of self-knowledge, uh, applying the will to discern deeply and be real honest about the personal, my feelings, my desires, my rightful responsibility and what I'm not responsible for, um, why I have my current situation, how I made my current situation, just how others are uh, versus uh, distortions in how we see them. I see certain things in a distorted way and I want to uh, recognize those distortions and uh, rectify my view. Rectification of names, rectification of view. Get to right understanding even though it's partial. Even though it's not absolute certainty. That's okay too. But that will to discern. um, Distinction and sameness. Uh, possible and impossible. Desire that is uh, essential, core need, versus inessential, a whim, or just a preference. Critical preference and in and, and inessential preference. When it's okay to follow, when it's okay to lead. When I must move, when I can't move, or shouldn't move, meaning change position or take a decision. When it's right um, to go forward with partial knowing and when we shouldn't go forward with partial knowing. <laughs> These are all very subtle, uh, I mean, knowings, I think, of fifth ray of uh, the Fishudi Maga, um, the Maga of Visuddhi, or fifth ray path, the path of Buddhi, just like Nityananda said. The path of Buddhi is Visuddhi Maga. Boom. Uh, Visuddhi Maga, of course, is a famous Buddhist Pali Buddhist, it's really Abhidhamma of um, Buddha Gosha reading, uh, doing commentary on the suttas, of Sutta Pitaka of uh, the Pali Canon, early Buddhism. <clears throat> uh, path of purification, it's actually the path of Visuddhi, 
which is very much, it's the word for fifth chakra, the Shruti chakra. And so the path of wisdom, <clears throat> the path of buddhi, uh, discriminative awareness, or knowing um, the many and the one, the differentiated and the same. The sameness of the differentiated and the rightful differentiation of the many. This is um, part of, I, as far as I know, I, you know, I'm not Jundran, I don't know what I am. I don't know if I'm a dreaming I'm Scott or I'm Scott dreaming uh, something, something. But uh, there's no doubt that we experience the many, which is profoundly differentiated. We have many, many decision points. We really need wisdom to discern. Clear differentiation. And that's very much done with fifth chakra. Meanwhile, that many is also one. And it's also essentially transconceptual, or we can conceive it, but its, it, its nature is more than appearance, and its nature is more than our conception. Yet our conceptions are necessary, um, but they're not, not wisely the basis of um, generating conflict. <clears throat> and that's where it gets, that's really what Jongsa is addressing here. Uh, where we started, page 71, see, I really can't finish this in an hour. There are boundaries, there are differentiations, right, left, up, down, theories, debates, divisions, discriminations, emulations, <clears throat> appearings to be this or that, and contentions, oppositions, argument, uh, conflict, dis dis debate, fight, you know, the thicket of views. Uh, those are called the eight virtues. I don't know why they're all virtues, but there are, um, there are, there is differentiation, obviously. Um, but um, the point of uh, all this epistemological deconstruction, deconstructing our sense of certainty, the basis of our generating conflict in relationship, in, in life, in, 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 in uh, all sorts of discussion, um, uh, some level of, uh, of wise detachment is critical. And so this wise, what his, his understanding of wise detachment, vairagya, renunciation of the inessential, uh, is spelled out here. Um, what's beyond the six realms, meaning uh, cosmology, cosmogenesis, source, intelligent infinity, what's beyond the octave, beyond this all, nirvana, the mind of the Buddha. The sage admits, admits it's, it exists but doesn't theorize doesn't spend a lot of time in the imponderables of the, of the uh, really, uh, of source, source of creation, source of light, source of the law of karma, meaning the law of karma and its intricacies, like cosmology, and then also the mind of the Buddha, or what's on the other side of the octave, uh, the mind, what the guardians do, even logo, you know, I get hung up on this. How can the logos allow all this? Well, <laughs> the Taoist would say um, it exists, but don't get stuck in theorizing or debating or judging. And so we've got the sage admits the six realms exist, but doesn't theorize or doesn't. And, and I would say, you know, it's okay to theorize. And I would say, do whatever you want. But if you want um, to stay in balance or return to balance, uh, wise, uh, wise discernment of what ought to be dropped and what is fruitless. Discerning the fruitless. It's fruitless to go this way. It's fruitless to continue this way. It's fruitless to argue in some cases. Um, it's fruitless to presume certainty in some cases. Um, knowing the fruitless helps us know the fruitful. We know what's useful and valuable as well as we also can know what is uh, of low value or harmful. So knowing the precious <laughs> uh, is strengthened by knowing the inessential and the useless and the valueless, but um, don't presume it's useless until you've really looked at it from all different angles. Like the big gourd is useless as a dipper, but it's great for a boat, that kind of thing.
as we saw in the past chapter. And so within what's within the six realms or within the octave or in this world, he may theorize but doesn't debate. He doesn't get caught in argument and conflict. What's in the case of the spring and autumn, meaning records of the past and history and kingdoms and this and that in that case, the sage debates but doesn't discriminate. What does that mean? I think it means that he may argue this point or that as to what happened or his interpretation of the record or history, uh, but he doesn't discriminate. I think this means judge, and um, it's another form of um, uh, or not discriminating um, as not judging is also not arguing or not um, n- not dogmatically holding to one interpretation. Uh, you know, so all of this is against dogmatism, zealotry, and argumentativeness, and stuck in oppositional mode. It's very bad to be stuck in oppositional mode. So I say, those who divide fail to divide, meaning their division of right and wrong and left and right, or good and bad and true and false, is um, a lesser division, not the true division, which is really the division that there is uh, differentiation and there's uh, unity. There is knowing and unknowing, or know, the, the relative knowing and absolute inconceivability. That's akin to the right division, perhaps. I don't know. Who am I? But uh, true, those who divide fail to divide. Those who discriminate fail to discriminate. And he explains it there, later, in the paragraph on the top of 72. He says, so I say, those who discriminate fail to see. So those who discriminate fail to discriminate means they fail to see. True seeing is beyond ordinary mind discrimination. Discrimination is uh, akin to the monastic function um, without seeing deeper or not seeing the unity of the many, not seeing the inconceivable of conception, not seeing the relative uh, emptiness or uselessness of our conception. I say I am Scott. That's relatively useful. If somebody says, hey, is Scott here? I raise my hand. Yes, I'm Scott. That's useful. But uh, uh, taking that too far gets would get me into trouble. I'm Scott. What, what the fuck does that even mean, right? I am this mind-body personality. Okay. Was I always? No. Will I always be? No. Does that mean I'm annihilated? No. Well, <laughs> then I'm Scott and I'm not Scott. Like, uh, I am Bob and I am not Bob, said the uh, supposed walk-in and from elsewhere. I am Bob, I am not Bob. So, you are your conceived identity, and not only that, right? Things are as they appear. Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. So, uh, identity is not as it appears, nor is it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Concept is not as it appears, nor is it otherwise. Knowing is not as it appears, nor is it otherwise. All these things are more than they appear to be. Knowing or concept concept and belief about anything, which is our conceptualization, which uh, gives us the basis of belief, meaning I am Scott, is a conceptualization of identity. This is right, is a conceptualization of virtue. This is, this is not as it should be is a conceptualization of, um, what, propriety or um, cosmic law or something. Um, Those conceptualizations are um, inadequate to fully explain the object of of consideration. Yet they're not totally wrong either. To, To say it is real, to say it's not real, are both problematic. To say it is only this, to say it's not this, are both problematic. This is back to Madhyamaka, back to Nagarjuna, Madhyamaka middle way, Buddhist teaching, talking neither affirmation nor negation, beyond affirmation and negation. There's a relative value to affirmation and negation, but essentially, um, reality is not fully captured or known by affirmation and negation. Neither will. So it's all a dream. But that's a dream too. (laughs) That's a statement in a dream as well. So, ordinary men discriminate among them and parade their discriminations before others. He certainly is counseling against getting caught 
in the thicket of views. Don't live in the thicket of views. Don't live in the thicket of views. Go beyond the mind. Leap into the boundless and make it your home, he said. The boundless is um, very much associated, you know, can be tasted by samadhi, is tasted regularly by equanimity, upekka, uh, is very much associated with samatha, serenity. Right? So Buddhist serenity, samatha, samatha practice, practice of meditation in the Theravada tradition at least, developing samatha. Samatha is not no, no, no little thing. Some Vajrayana people look down on shamatha and think that uh, tantric abhisheka is the highway and everything else is kind of crude and hina, hinayana means wretched path but I don't think that's true serenity is a great thing if it's real as the result of lots of catharsis <laughs> coming after lots of catharsis get it out, like the logos is getting out it's um, thermal heat it's heat <laughs> it, it's uh, unusable heat, Ra said, entropic heat coming out from the deeper levels of the earth during earth changes time, during the restructuring of uh, the planetary electromagnetic grid to prepare it for the fourth density cycle. You know? All these teachings are useful. I think they're great. And uh, people who don't know the raw material are a real disadvantage, a serious disadvantage in understanding global process and personal process and the ET UFO scene. Um... And I guess that's why I was a threat. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I've got one who can see, she said. And so, seeing is critical. So, those who discriminate fail to see. Those who judge or um, get caught in debate that which is clearly um, beyond words or... Um, discriminate and judge that which shouldn't be or from the resolution of paradox or a unified perspective um, where there's a relative right and wrong or where where right and wrong is pretty clearly relative um, or you can say right and wrong is always clearly relative or it's always relative essentially uh, and the sage doesn't judge uh, like historical record but the key is to see. <laughs> the key is to see clearly. And that's the path of buddhi. And so it's, it's to see the relative and the absolute, the many and the one, the, uh, val- the relative value of conceptualization and the ultimate inconceivability of, of, of sat, of truth, of reality. Sat-chit is the awareness of sat, the chit of sat. And that's, of course, all at the end of the path, on the other side, Satchit Ananda, the bliss of Satchit. But that, that is the ultimate seeing. So things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. Very, all these things are very unified. Uh, Buddhist teaching of the two truths, relative and absolute. So there's, there's, a val, there's a relative value, no doubt, to common conceptions of right and wrong, good and bad. There's a difference between saying I love you and saying I hate you. There are different consequences. There's right action and wrong action, relatively speaking. Depends on the mind, depends on the person. Uh, and so what's right action for me may be wrong for you, but it doesn't, but there is, there are consequences. There is karmic law. Um, but karma is intention, and so it depends on the intention a lot, not only the action. So all these things are very complicated to say anything. Um, you know, to speak about a thing is to miss the mark. I think said Lynchy or Lynchy quoting another teacher. Um, meanwhile, we need to speak, and he knows that, and so he knows that we must make decision and we must speak, and there is value to discernment, and we uh, we need to live in this world. Uh, he's saying, don't get caught up at the mental ideological levels. Don't get caught up in ideology. Don't be a zealot and a dogmatist, and. Knowing the relativity of, of all conception and the essential limits of knowing is critical. And even seeing um, can be sufficient for you, but not sufficient to convince anyone else of, of what you know is by your seeing, which may well be accurate. And so uh, ten people may think you're wrong and you may be right. 
<laughs> Ten people may think you're right, and you still may be wrong. Or you may, uh, you know, uh, think that you're right, and uh, for where you're at today, it's true. Where you are tomorrow or in the future, you may see you were wrong. But you were right when you thought it was right, and now you see it was wrong or harmful or something. And you're right also in seeing it as wrong today, but um, it's wrong to think, or it's harmful to think, that you should have been otherwise how you could only have been. (laughs) We only can be as we are, however we can change. But that takes time. So anyway, there's all of this very epistemological deconstruction and uh, reestablishment. If the Tao is made clear, it's not the Tao. Too much talk about Godhead is a problem. The inconceivable. um, That's why Gautama called the various things imponderable. So if the way it made clear is not the Tao, the way the Tao made clear, not the way. If, 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 because it's, it's unnameable, and, and essentially not only is a source, if we think of Tao as the source or the Logos or Intelligent Infinity, the source of light, but it's also light, because light is, the, uh, its true nature is its source. So true nature um, that level of identity or the essential, ultimate, total, um, absolute identity is the source of the one <laughs> under discussion. The, the source of the being is the being's ultimate, true, complete identity. And so when Ross says they drop identity going to seven density, they drop the belief and the experience that we have become light as identity. The identity... We have become light. We, we no longer seek light. We become light. No. <laughs> we now experience the relative identity of identity uh, of identity with light. The relative identity as light, of light, beingness as light. But that's dropped, going to seven density, because that too is based on perception, based on subjective consciousness, based on thus um, vijnana, born of ignorance, not yet outside of ignorance, or, or basic avidya, not finished with conceit or restlessness. And when they finish with conceit and restlessness, eighth and ninth fetters, then they drop identity and memory. They have no identity. Uh, they have no conceived identity. They have no identity in a dualistic, subjectivist sense. They, um, what we could say they are, or know themselves then to be, is totality or source of light. But the Tao is not only that, the Tao is also uh, all that is in front of us. Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. The absolute nature of the relative, the true nature of the relative and the many being absolute, which is beyond unity, you know. We become light as a statement of unity. Ra drops that when they leave sixth density. So that's not, you know, David Icke's a great man, I think, frankly. And, um, but it says we are consciousness, eternal consciousness. No, actually we're the source of consciousness. <laughs> we are Satchit. And uh, Satchit is uh, unbroken intelligent infinity. Now that's nowhere near what I am now uh, in manifestation, or you, but that's ultimate identity. Um, the source of consciousness. The source of subjectivity. The source of light. So anyway... Um, if modesty is fastidious, it can't be trusted. <laughs> Don't trust people who parade their virtues. Don't trust people who think they are experts. They may know a lot, but there's <laughs> a lot, you know, missing. So human expertise, as an oxymoron. Uh, if benevolence has a constant object, it can't be universal. Benevolence has a constant object. You know, Chinese, ancient Chinese culture at that time, 2,000 plus years ago, highly ritualistic um, ceremonial state ceremonialism, um, governmental-based the, the religion, um, which was very statist in a sense. Um, there wasn't any kind of fixed religion, I think. It was a lot of ritual and ceremony um, working with the gods. And, I mean, it may be effective in some way, but it, was, it became extremely crystallized even at that time, 2,000 years ago. So they were already working against dogmatism, just in the same way that Gautama was working against the dogmatism 
that had seeped into the Brahman, the Brahmins, um, the Hindu Brahmins at that time, 2,500 years ago. It happens all the time. You know, <laughs> there's a rising persistence, old age, sickness, and death. And so uh, as persistence goes on, you have old age where you have a drying up of the yin. And uh, the hair gets brittle, the skin gets brittle, the, uh, the yin is depleted, and you have rigidity in body and then mind and belief as well, and in culture too. So that's probably where we are in the global process is uh, old age, sickness and death, and transformation and rebirth. So, look at that. I'm going to end in an hour. And so there's certain... Let, let's just jump to some of his recommendations or guidance. Therefore, on, the, on this is uh, 72, therefore, understanding that rests in what it does not understand is the finest. Uh, how much greater is the than all these suns that light up the whole world, 10,000 things all lit up? Virtue means dauda, the virtue of knowing um, the absolute, but knowing, seeing the absolute. So there's a difference between seeing and knowing. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of um, gnosis, obviously. It's a epiphany. It's a kind of um, apotheosis of mind, uh, deification of mind. It doesn't mean I'm a god. Oh, it's something like that. It actually is a seeing as much as we can the uh, relative and the absolute, the relativity of all that can be seen or all-knowing, uh, and, and at, at least moving towards greater equanimity, for sure. You know, it's very hard to make sense of this very hard to live this. I mean, how well do I live it? I don't know. <laughs> somebody else has to tell me. Should I get someone who understands or somebody who doesn't? How do I know who does understand? Somebody who agrees or somebody who doesn't? Somebody who likes me, somebody who doesn't. How do I know who to trust? I don't know. I get somebody who knows more than me. Who knows more than me? Well, how do I know he knows more than me? How does he know he knows more than me? But some do, of course. <laughs> Obviously. So, that, that's why Ross said, understanding is not of your density. And so, greater than arguing, um, leap into the boundless and make it your home. But you can't do that or know any sense of what that is, uh, tasting the sugar of that, without equanimity. And that can't be done too well without concentration and a quiet mind that's not addicted to naming activity. That's not addicted to proliferation, some skaric proliferation, meaning thinking, thinking, thinking endlessly. So... Uh, he says, the way I see it, the rules of benevolence and righteousness and the paths of right and wrong, meaning it was all very hardened at that time, are all hopelessly snare, snarled and jumbled. How can I know anything about such discriminations of right and wrong and righteous and benevolence? They all became hardened already at that time. And there's lots of that today. You know, you have the right-left debate. You have the east-west blocks uh, argument. Yeah, all sorts of trouble and conflict. So let's see if we can find some more comments. Uh, the sage leans on the sun and moon, tucks the universe under his arm, merges himself with things, leaves the confusion and muddle as it is. Uh, looks on slaves as exalted, I don't know about that. But leaves the confusion and muddle as it is. Uh, if it's crooked, I leave it alone. Um, not always, but in general principle, that's a good idea. He takes part in the 10,000 ages and, is see, and achieves simplicity in oneness. For him, all the 10,000 things are what they are, and thus they enfold one another. How do I know that loving life is not a delusion? How do I know that in hating death, right? There's a lot of death happening these days. I'm not like a man who, having left home in his youth, has forgotten the way back. Death as homecoming. Now, I'm not encouraging suicide, ever. But uh, metaphysically, at the right time, in the right way, I certainly, death is homecoming. Because, uh, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a jihadi saying. I mean, I'm not encouraging that either. But they say something, and you'll see it in the movie Syriana. The next world is the true life. I think there's truth to that. The next world is the true life. Um, you certainly can get that perspective from no solar. 
Um, they they come they, when they're there. They make their plans to come here and make arrangements. And here we for, they forget. We forget the there and where they were making the plans whose incarnation they're living out in the physical world. Then they go back there. And so this is this is uh, experience of incarnation is a lot more temporary than the experience before and after incarnation. And there includes an understanding of here. But here does not include a natural understanding and seeing and access to there. So there, there's access to here and there. Here, there's access only to here. That's why it's called Maya. Because only there do we see the physical and the metaphysical. Here, understanding not of our density, not of this brain, not of this vehicle, uh, we don't see there. We don't see the metaphysical and the physical as inseparable. There it's seen. That's why they call it the true, the nec- the true life. The true life, the real life, what's sat, is physical and metaphysical. And here we're under you know, the veil and limited mind and then cultural engineering, Marxism and all this stuff. Um, where we're, you know, like uh, Plato's cave, uh, seeing the shadows on the wall. So the no-solar perspective, I think, is very, very important. Anyway, only after he wakes does he know it was a dream. And someday there'll be a great awakening when we know that this is all a great dream. Yet the stupid, (laughs) the stupid 3D natives, some of them, not all, some, many, actually, it's, it's when they become aggressive with power that there's a problem. When they're not, and this is like I said before, when people are individual one by one, they're actually very decent, I find, almost always. Nearly always, I find the people I meet are very decent. But when they get into group formation, uh, then there's a trouble. And that's what he's, uh, I think, addressing here. Yet the stupid believe they are awake, busily and brightly assuming they understand things, calling this man ruler, that one herdsman, how dense... Confucius and you are both dreaming, and I say, and when I say you're dreaming, I'm dreaming too. And so, it's a dream. (laughs) And so, finally, uh, I think I'll just end it on this, is uh, page 77. Harmonize, waiting, waiting for one shifting voice to pass judgment on another is the same as waiting for none of them. Harmonize them all with the heavenly equality. Leave them to their endless changes. And so live out your years. What do I mean by harmonizing them with the heavenly equality? Right is not right, so is not so. If right were really right, it would differ so clearly from not right that there'd be no need for argument. And if so were really so, it would differ so clearly from not so that there would be no need for argument. Forget the years, forget distinctions, leap into the boundless and make it your home. I would say hold lightly the years and distinctions. Um, Accept personal process and emotional process of distress, particularly. I mean, what's hard to accept is what's painful. (laughs) It's easy to accept and enjoy the pleasant and the lovely and the joyous. So, of the painful and the the sorrowful and um, the frustrating and the um, uh, scary and the depressing and discouraging. Um, Know it, but try not to make a home there. Don't make a home in emotional distress. Don't make a home in uh, uh, ever-proliferating mind, a mind that doesn't know silence and stillness and peace and quiet. Make your home in peace. Don't make your home in chaos. Uh, And don't make home in opinionatedness. It's important to have opinions, or we all do, and we have interpretations, and we there are distinctions that need to be made. Um, Don't let them become a prison. And so don't make your mind a happy place. (laughs) Make your mind a pleasant place. And it can be done. But if it's not now, acknowledge my mind is not a happy place, or is a lot of distress. And then uh, bring more love (laughs) and acceptance and understanding and forgiveness, uh, just like Ross said. So, uh, leap into the boundless and make it your home. 
uh, cultivate concentration and equanimity and um, find home there too. So next time uh, we'll pick up at last chapter three. Um, A.C. Muller doesn't translate it, so we're only with uh, the uh, Burton Watson translation, and he translates it. This is page 82 on the PDF. The Secret of Caring for Life. Uh, and it starts with, uh, Your life has a limit, but knowledge has none. If you use what is limited, meaning your life, to pursue what is no limit with knowledge, you'll be in danger. If you understand this and still strive for knowledge, You'll be in danger for certain. And I think he means really fight for and with knowledge. So, um, The Secret of Caring for Life, Chapter 3. Next time we'll pick it up. So thank you for being here. I hope you enjoyed it. Please take good care of yourselves every day. See you next time. And good night.